LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins. And today I'm here with, uh, well, really almost two guests because we have a guest co-host, which is Ben Mendrell. He is my new boss. So if you could like, subscribe, rate, and review, and just say how awesome it is. And if you could like CC hashtag anything that you can do. You know, this is kind of like a, a quality control ride along. It is kind so, of a ride along. Yeah, I, I need to see what's going on in here. <laughs> I <laughs> so, haven't seen the movie Ride Along. I'm watching. Is it good? This, it's not a movie reference. It's okay. Just, I'm just riding along to make sure that you're behaving. Okay. Representing us. Apparently, I've been reported somewhere, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, but we have a a special guest today, uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, she was on actually not too long ago, several months back. Um, uh, and we walked through her last book, uh, which was Gay Girl, Good God. And it is, it. okay, so here's the thing that I love about you, Jackie. I don't, <laughs> it's not just what you write, it's how you write. Yeah. That's what, that's what I like. Is that something that you hear? Um, yeah. And that was intentional just because I, I feel like a lot of the Christian books that I've read over the span of my Christendom, um, they help me intellectually, but they bore me creatively and aesthetically. And so I just kind of wanted to do something different in my approach to, you know, theological stuff. That's good. That's good. So, and you know, one of the things that, uh, that I want people to understand is, you know, today we're going to do some of the follow-up questions that people are used to for, uh, lively leadership. But one of the things that, um, you have coming out right now is a, it's actually a Bible study on the book of Jude, which is not something we, we hear about very often, the book of Jude, but, um, tell us why that's kind of a, a, an important book for you. Yeah, I think one, it, it feels like the stepbrother that nobody wants to go out to eat with, <laughs> but who who has a lot of important things to say if we just give him an ear. Um, I think the, the, the route in which I kind of learned about Jude is that when I was a new believer, I was a part of a church that was really legalistic. And so I just always felt like uh, my righteousness was dependent upon me um, and God's love uh, was dependent upon my works. And so that's a stressful and a burdensome kind of walk to have um, until I ended up landing on Jude 24, which says now to him who's able to keep you from falling. And that was just profound for me to be reminded or actually just learn that it would ultimately be God's hands that were stronger than my legs. And I didn't know that. Um, but I think now, 10 years later, when i um, kind of asked to do a study for LifeWay, Jude immediately came to my mind because the question that I wanted to answer is what brought Jude to verse 24? Like what preceded that doxology for him to have to include it in the canon of scripture? And so I came to that conclusion and it was a beautiful one. So, okay. So, uh, the, the title of this is Jude contending for the faith in today's culture. So, you know, Talk about why that's an untimely message uh, for us today, contending for faith in today's culture. 
Yeah, I think if you if you look at Twitter, if you look at the conferences that um, are existing, the books that are coming out uh, and being published, they all kind of revolve around the question of how do I preach the gospel to this issue? How do I love this person? How do I help my friend who is drifting away from biblical orthodoxy? And all of that is under the banner of contending. Um, to contend is to fight for, to uh, try to preserve what it is that the apostles and the prophets have given to us in the scriptures. And I think all of us are needing wisdom in a day and age where just wisdom is just so necessary. And so I think that's why Jude is important because Jude allows us, I think, gives us a lot of tools for how to contend practically, but also how to have a sober mindedness as we contend. Um, Just like when he says, you know, have mercy on those who doubt, but to others, uh, snatch them out of the fire uh, with fear, uh, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, basically speaking to this idea of, yeah, have mercy on people, be compassionate, but make sure you fear God as you do. Because as you know, as we've seen that a lot of times when people have more compassion than they have reverence, it's led to a kind of complicit faith where they begin to agree and affirm the things that they were supposed to be defending. And so I think Judas, yeah, he's just a necessary dude to listen to. <laughs> so how have you seen, you know, in your own life, you know, a, a conflict or, um, you know, wrestling through, fighting through something that's benefited you, you know, both both in your personal life and in leadership? Explain that a little bit more for me. So, you know, this is about contending for the faith and culture uh, and you in contending for your own faith, the things that you've wrestled through, like, you know, share a story about one of those things and how you ultimately benefited from wrestling through that. Hmm. I mean, I think a couple things. I think my own sexuality, for one. Um, I think um, one of the temptations of our day and stumbling blocks of our day is to really allow our affections to determine how we're supposed to view ourselves and God, uh, where we 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 start inward and then we look up and say, okay, because I feel this way, then God must be like this versus allowing Jesus to tell us who God is and then allowing that to then govern how we understand ourselves and, and our bodies and our affections. And so I think that's something that I've had to consistently, not, not as much now, but wrestle through, which is, yes, your temptations are very strong and they are really adamant and they are super loud. And the culture is telling you that you should have the freedom and the right and the autonomy to submit to them, you know, because that's who you are. Um, But I think what the scriptures says is that, no, um, I was created in his image and made for his glory and that he will empower me to flee my temptations if I trust in him and that all those who do endure will receive the crown of life. And so I think part of contending for my own soul (laughs) is to allow the scriptures to determine how I behave and how I live and who I trust. Uh, And so I think that's benefited me and hopefully it's been edifying to other people. So, Jackie, this has been one when I look at what you're writing about with Jude, one of the things that's so encouraging to me, I just came off the field as a church planner in Denver and in Denver, Colorado, Christianity is just the minority view. And so contending for my faith was an everyday battle and just trying to help people understand the credibility of Christianity. When, when you wrote this book, like who do, who do you really have in mind uh, for this book? Who's it, who's it most going to benefit who go through this study? 
I think the Christians that are actively trying to make disciples and needing the wisdom and the courage to do so. Um, because I have enough conversations with mothers in particular, even uh, university students, especially university students on secular campuses, where it's, it's, it's kind of it's hard <laughs> to contend for the faith in these spaces where um, everything is not considered safe. And so I think probably for them, I, I think because what what Jude speaks to is one to contend rightly, you need the spirit to do it. Because anybody can tell you a bunch of things that are true. Hey, Jesus is God. Hey, Jesus uh, was sinless. Uh, uh, marriage is between one man and one woman, uh, God willing for life. Anybody can say that, but we have enough people saying it in the wrong way. And I think it's because people are leaning or allow, or, 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 or contending in the flesh rather than contending by the spirit. Because uh, I think for us to do what Timothy says, which is to do it in gentleness and respect, you need the Holy Ghost to do that. Um, and so I think and I hope that this Bible study will say, yes, you can contend. God will empower you to contend and that you are like it is OK for you to be frustrated, for you to be grieved. It says that the Holy Spirit is within you, prompting you to want to change the world around you. That's a good thing. That's great. And, you know, I love that you're pointing out our college students who are trying to contend for the faith in the secular university. I think it's a really challenging atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, and what you've written here seems like it's to be great weapons for people who are, who are in that place. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think what we see in particular when there's this book called The the Coddling of the American Mind, which is, is super fascinating. Um, and it's not written by a Christian, but he speaks to just how people uh, want to be. They don't want anything offensive or what feels traumatic to enter into their spaces. They don't want any ideas uh, that contradict their own. And I think, honestly, a big part of this is Romans 1, is it's suppressing the truth by our own unrighteousness. We're calling it uh, unsafe language, but really it's language that would reveal the conscience to them. You know, I don't want to know that I have beef with God. That is uncomfortable for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call you a bigot and I'm going to say you're offensive. Uh, But I think that the Holy Spirit is good where he's going to save who he's going to save. So I'm not worried about it. So talk a little bit more um, about that book, because, you know, this inevitably uh, when we're talking about who you're learning from or, you know, different things like that, books come up. We we are readers here. Uh, we, we actually love books in addition to producing. <laughs> um, so. I, I butcher the guy's name, but Greg Lukianoff or something like that is, is the guy coddling the American mind. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because um, part of what we do is introduce people to books that they probably should read, uh, but, they're pro- but they're not going to. That's not a natural book that's going to, you know, fly off the, the, the bookshelf or something they're going to see walking through an airport or something like that. Yeah. Um, what made me, I don't know how I was introduced to that book in particular. It might've been a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it was a podcast I was listening to, but what prompted me to listen to the podcast was my, uh, um, dealings in universities. I went to a university of Wisconsin and a lot, I was talking about sexuality and a lot of the pushback 
uh, when talking to students was what you are saying is so damaging and unsafe. And I was really intrigued on where that came from. It's like, why is this the language that they're using that this is unsafe? Um, as if there aren't instances as which you in which you have to say something that would be offensive to protect someone else, whether it's my child, whether it's my friend. Hey, you probably shouldn't be with that guy because he's a meanie. Um, it, it might feel offensive, but if it's true and it's wise, then we have to disregard what we feel about it and just submit to it. And so I think that book was really helpful in, in me kind of having a background for why that's a thing now. It is interesting, you know, if you, I'm 43, I was a philosophy major undergrad. Oh, fancy. um, Yeah, philosophy and rhetoric. So I thought I was going to be a law law student, but but God had other plans. (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, one of the things, and people know that um, I'm kind of obsessed with classical education because it's, because of the rhetoric portion, because of the logic portion, Mm. um, and just understanding even then, even 20 years ago, uh, it was, it wasn't about winning. It wasn't about, I'm sorry, uh, finding truth. It was about winning an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, Western philosophy, all it's designed to do is not necessarily find a solution or truth. It's, it's to pick apart, um, someone else's point of view. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we are in a society that is so amazingly, cynical and so uh, negative um, uh, how how does how does the book of Jude bring us back I mean you know I, I know that um, the themes there are being called and being loved and being kept um, how does that draw us back in to be hopeful in particular uh, I, th- I think one of the I'm, I'm pulling up Jude now. I think one of the encouraging things that Jude says uh, towards the end is that he tells them, hey, beloved, you know, y- you you keep yourselves in the love of God and you await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that encouragement because it says, hey, he's coming back. And he's going to make all things new and you you do have a hope. And so I think when, with cynicism, it, it, it kind of has this idea of what is will always be. And what is is pretty negative and pretty hopeless or, or less or, or, or if we're on Twitter, it might feel that way. Um, I think the reality is, is that now, nah, like what is won't be that way forever. We will have a new heaven and a new earth and a new mind and a new body. And we will be surrounded by people that love God and love each other and don't say really bad things to each other all the time, you know? Um, and so even as we contend, there's a hope that I'm contending so that the people that I do life with, the people that are in my neighborhood, the people that are in my school, they will also be alongside me one day being able to wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that will be revealed when he comes. And so I, I, to me, that makes me super hopeful. Jackie, as we continue on this road of leadership questions here on, on the podcast, you know, one of the questions I love to ask people is just when your life is over and you've written what you've written and you're, you've shared what God's called you to share, like what do you dream that your legacy will be? Like what do you hope will be true or people believe about you once you've finished the race? I don't know. (laughs) And I think because I'm 30, so I I try not to think too far in advance. But 
I do. I, I, I have this tension of I often want my children to be much more impressed with my leadership than the public. Um, and, and so I guess that's something that I'm always struggling with is when this life is over and I've written however many books and uh, have a however many quotes that people uh, tattoo on their backs. I don't know. Uh, I just want my children to be able to say everything that you're saying about my mother was true. And I, I think that would make me really happy. I'm sure it must be difficult to raise kids as you're also raising a ministry up as it, and, and you're becoming more and more popular and sought after as a speaker and a writer. How do you manage it all? Oh, I don't know if I am, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm learning that I have uh, I, I, I'm learning wisdom in this um, and just even how much people pleasing can go into the reason for my busyness uh, where you don't yeah. want to let people down and or uh, arrogance even and, and feeling way too c- uh, confident in your uh, competence. And so I think sometimes I can take on more than I should because I would be able to do it and I would be able to do it well according to other people's standards, but I know it's actually not the best I could be because I have my hand in too many things. Um, and so I'm learning how to allow God to temper me in that. Are you doing this out of arrogance and are you doing this out of fear? Both of those aren't helpful or fruitful. And so I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be honest with myself and let other, other, let other people into my struggle, such as my husband, uh, leaders in my church, so that they would be able to say, hey, Jackie, is this for Jesus or is this for people? And that's hard and that's difficult, but it's a challenge that I have to take on. Have you found any uh, practical you know, steps or, or a f- not a framework, but really are there any habits or practices you can kind of begin to put into place to help you focus so that you can continue to do that? Prayer has been big. I've been praying more than I used to. Um, and it's actually been making me uh, wiser just because I'm able to actually talk to God about my schedule, talk to God about the things that are uh, I'm being invited to do um, and really be led by the spirit into the scriptures to think rightly about what I should or should not do. Um, because I, I just see I, I make way too many decisions off of a whim rather than allow, allowing the Lord to to guide me. Um, I think that's one. Two, uh, having a team uh, for a long time. One, I was too cheap to pay for a team, <laughs> but also too much of a control freak to want to relinquish some duties to people. Um, but I'm seeing that I, I cannot be effective while trying to do a ministry and be a wife and be a mother and write books and all these things without people that God has gifted with the gift of administration to be able to help me to say no and say yes and manage certain things. And so I think prayer and the team and my husband has been huge because he's he's a really good husband where he wants me to flourish. Uh, but I see that I need his input and his insight and his rebuke uh, when it comes to the decisions that I make so that I'm not out here doing the most. So uh, are there, you know, any examples that that you might give us on, you know, making that strategic shift um, where you did say, okay, I'm going to stop doing this uh, and let somebody else handle that? Um, And what was the result? 
Well, I'll say what initiated it. What what started me thinking that way is there was uh, this was last year. It's shortly either before or after the book was released, and I was just doing a ton of podcasts, uh, traveling, speaking, um, just doing a lot. And I was looking at my calendar, and I was trying to because my calendar is not my life, but it's my it's everything that I need to do. If I don't put pay your rent on my calendar, I'm not gonna pay my rent, and that's a true story. I've had letters on my door. Um, <laughs> so I um, I was looking at my calendar and I started to feel foggy and confused in my mind. And I'm pretty sharp. And so I'm like, why am I feeling confused? And my heart started to beat. I started to just feel out of it. And I was like, I think that this is becoming like, I think this is panic attack symptoms. And so I stood up and I went outside and I started to breathe and I just breathe and I try not to think. And I called my therapist and I said, Hey, this just happened to me. I don't know what this is. And she said, that's the symptoms of a panic attack. And I knew at that moment I was taking on way more than I can handle. And so I I guess for me, what started it is that I had to realize uh, that I had no options. I didn't have a choice but to make sure that I was doing Sabbath well, that I was resting well, that I, I had accountability and that I had help. That if I if I thought like God had not equipped me and given me uh, these gifts and all of this stuff to go nuts or go crazy, like he wanted me to minister out of rest instead of out of a burden or a duty. And he had uh, given me a church to be able to help me to do that. And so I don't know. I just wouldn't want people to have to get to a breaking point to realize that there is need as they really are. That's really good stuff. I know just in 17 years of being a pastor and trying to raise kids and, you know, my four, three middle schoolers, one high schooler now, it is really easy to think that a successful outward ministry means a growing, vital Christian Mm -hmm. and and to believe that as long as people are applauding me or subscribing to me and whether they or affirming me and preaching or teaching that I, God must be really proud of me. So it's really, it's good to hear that there are other people in the journey who struggle with Mm. that because it's easy to, to begin um, kind of letting those basic disciplines fall away from your life that, that really bring you closer to Christ. And the temptation is real, isn't it? Oh, real, real, we're real, we're real, real. That's the new podcast title. (laughs) (laughs) Real to the fourth power. I like it. And how old are your little ones? Uh, four. My oldest will be five next month, and then my youngest is one. So you're you're physically it's a physically demanding time too. Like you're running around. Oh yeah, I'm saving lives at all times. You know why <laughs> <laughs> that quarter is not food. Uh, trying to keep the four year old from uh, violently attacking the one year old because she took the iPad from her. It's just my life is just interesting. <laughs> I love it. I think people have this view of of public speakers that their their home life is this glamorized. <laughs> it's just real life, Mm-mm. man. It's a hot mess. <laughs> but God is making it organized. My mother lives with me now, which is is answered prayer actually, because I was that was one of my prayers too. Is God, I need help at home. Um, and I think the way I guess modern families function isn't even historically how it always has functioned. It's been a family thing. Um, and so God was kind enough to send my mother to help mother me, but also help me mother better. So that's cool. So what maybe one last question I have for you here is what is a, a kind of a pain? You know, God teaches us so much through our pain. Hmm. 
what is a pain right now that is producing righteousness in you right now that you're working through God's doing something new through through the trial what what is that right now for you how can I say this without being too honest um I think a self-awareness of my own sinfulness and I know people say that but I just I just am always very fearful of what would happen if I ever begin to think that all of my knowledge makes me self-sufficient. And it's not like I know a lot compared to other people, but I think when you're in a space where you're esteemed for what you know, you can begin to believe that you know too much when you don't know anything compared to the living God. And so I think by God's grace, I've been able to see like Jackie, that will take you down some really dark paths the moment you start to believe that you don't need me. Um, And so I think I'm trying to be needy by faith. Even if I don't feel needy, I have to believe that I am needy just by virtue of my being a created being. Um, And that's allowed me, I think, to become closer to God, to be much more uh, perceptive of when I need to sit down or move or whatever, and much more attentive to the Bible and what it says about God himself. Uh, so I'm not just reading uh, when Jesus feeds the the, the 5,000 people with loaves and bread. I'm not just impressed by the miracles, but I'm impressed by the person. Um, and that just helps me to just be really, really... Um, What's that? What do I want to say? Excited about God and enamored with God, because I think that's what sustains the Christian is not when we're impressed with by ourselves or even with each other. But when we see that the one that created the heavens and the earth beckons us to talk to him and be with him and walk with him and love him and be used by him. And so that's been keeping me. So is there in the in the last year or so, what's been one of those big moments with God that you're just like, you see it in a new and fresh way. Maybe it was, uh, while you were in scripture or while you were in prayer, uh, share with us one of those. You know what? I read, uh, the knowledge of the Holy by AW, AW Tozer three weeks ago. Yeah. That book. Oh my goodness. It just, (laughs) (laughs) it just, I read a lot. I, I read maybe two, two books a month, two to three books a month. But that one was different, like his approach to describing God through the scriptures and explaining God. Uh, and even R.C. Sproul's, I, I, I re, uh, reread his uh, The Holiness book. I don't remember the title that he did. And I read both of those at the same time. And I think uh, even though it was in preparation for my book, I don't look at prep as a separate thing from intimacy. I actually see it as this is actually how I get it inside me and apply it before I get it out. Um, and so I think in learning and studying the holiness of God, it's been transformative in how I've seen God. But in particular, how if God is holy and 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 transcendent and eminent and all of that stuff, if he is morally pure, I've started to see that if God is morally pure, that means he never has any ill motives towards me or anybody else. Everything that he does is always, always good. And so how does that transform then my submission to him and my faith in him to realize that there is never a time that God will ever sin against me? I think it sets us free to trust him differently. And so that's been, that's been real deep. (laughs) Where it's like even the hard command, I'm sorry. Well, no, I just want to totally 
resonate with you in that book. When I first read that book, I was a seminary student. The opening chapter, which begins with a line that says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. He, Tozer has this way of writing these short little statements that just rock your Zingers. world. Yeah. I can list like um, I can list five or six people I know that that book changed their life, and it's a skinny little it's tiny small. book that you can really. Yeah, it's a great devotional. Pursuit of God as well. That's just that's in my queue. So many lives. I haven't read that one yet. Oh, it it will wreck oh, you as well. <laughs> Tozer's kind of like Lewis, though. Like you have to go back and keep rereading it to get the. You do, back. but that's the cool thing about it too. Yeah, it has a lot of <laughs> a lot of depth, and I feel like I'm reading somebody who knows the Lord. You know, not knows about him, but knows him. <laughs> it's just like you're giving me some insights on God yes. that I just never even thought about. Yeah, you can read Tozer and feel like he, he was conversing. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, so uh, also then, what are what, what's one piece of, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given in your life? And then second, what's one in the last year that you've been given that you would say? Is, is oh, I don't remember. Um I'll try to say what I remember. Uh, my, I might have said this on the last podcast with you, but my pastor in Chicago, when I was living there, um, when he told me that your job as a leader is to die first. And I think I hadn't seen leadership that clearly. I knew leadership was like servanthood, but it was like, no, to initiate what it is that you're leading people to do. And I think that showed me that leadership is so much more than authority, but also humility. So that was one. I think in the last year, I don't remember, probably uh, calm down and chill out. <laughs> that, that kind of, that kind of, because I don't know if y'all do Enneagrams on this podcast, but. Oh, we're well conversant <laughs> with the Enneagram. It's how, uh, it's how Christians what, fellowship, what you, you know. Um, I'm a three, and so I'm an overachiever. But threes also find identity in everything that they're able to complete and do. And so I've, I, I think Enneagram has actually tried to helped me realize, like, your identity just really cannot be in all the tasks that you're able to accomplish. Like, it kind of needs to be the Lord. And so I don't know if that's advice to myself or Enneagram advice, but it's something that I remember. What? You know what I don't like about the Enneagram? That it was on Gargamel's floor in the smoke. <laughs> Oh, wait, that was something no, different. It's that when, when things are said about a certain number that are bad, I think, oh, that's me too. So I, I have all the bad ones. So Enneagram is kind of like a horoscope. Everybody that listens to this know that I'm uh, I'm just a slightly Aww. bitter bear when it comes to Enneagram. I'm conversant in it because I have to be. Um, but I'm a, I'm a Myers-Briggs guy myself or a, well, or an Insights guy. I think they're all fascinating. They are very all intriguing. They are. I, I love doing that. Enneagram stuff. is great on the shadow side. So I would say most people that love the Enneagram, it's because mm. it nailed their shadow side. And they're like, oh, mm. this is something I really need to work on. It's and true. threes. <laughs> you know it to that degree? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making stuff up. This is what bit. people do about the Enneagram. They just sit around and be like, oh. 
No, you're not no, a two. I can, you're I can totally easily three. be in a conversation with Got people for 40 minutes over Enneagram type. It's just, it's a thing. It, it's a good discussion. It's a self-awareness exercise. Yeah, that's true. Uh, are you, I'm, I'm an eight, seven. You're seven. I'm pretty strong. Seven. Ah. I'm an enthusiast. I, I was enthusiastically excited about this <laughs> conversation with Jack. You were new people, new relationships, That's exciting. new things. It's just all exciting. That's so good. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages when learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. And that's why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC partner together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum consists of a handbook, 13 uh, enhanced video sessions that brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling a variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or in your ministry. You can access these videos and this training and this book all for free at churchcares.com. All right. Well, um, Jackie, I just want to thank you so much for being on with us today. Uh, it's always, uh, always a pleasure. Anytime you have anything that you want to share with our audience that you're processing, or um, even if there's there's something that um, we may process with you, we may reach out to you uh, at some point in time as some of the issues of the day uh, kind of come to the forefront. We know that uh, I, I'm telling you that if you haven't read uh, Gay Girl, Good God, you need to. Um, it is not, I mean, here's what here's what I remember um, right after that episode, recording that episode with you, you know, I'm tweeting it out, pushing it out, and people don't even bother. They don't even bother to actually <laughs> Google it yeah. to understand what the book is. Or they do. They just start throwing poor, their opinions out. It's crazy. But I would say pick it up and look at it. Like, actually go to actually buy it uh, and look at it or go to a, to a store, pick it up and uh, thumb through it. And I guarantee you, you will be, well, thank you. You'll be enamored and you'll be sucked in. So I know that's not uh, necessarily what our, our podcast is about um, today, but uh, I just wanted to, to mention that one more time. And if you're going through a, uh, a Bible study with a group, uh, I would highly recommend Jude as well by uh, Jackie L. Perry. It is um, very, very poignant in today's world. So anything else you want to say to our listeners before we go? No, I'm good. Enjoy Thanksgiving, Christmas, and work out. <laughs> <laughs> Love your kids. Have work out. Yeah. All right. That's <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, please hop on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating and review.